0: Well, that's one beautiful lady. (laughs) And I'm not biased, prejudiced at all. (laughs) Hey, welcome everyone. It's great to see all of your faces. Welcome to King of Kings. And uh, what a great joy it is to gather together in God's presence. Isn't it wonderful to be able to step outside of our COVID homes and come again where there are people and we can worship the Lord? There's just nothing like it. And so we are honored to be able to worship together with you tonight we want to welcome our king of kings family we love you we are honored to be able to worship together with you right here in jerusalem and then we want to also welcome all of you that are joining us online our facebook and live uh, kings community live group and uh, all of our community that's joining us online welcome from around the world some of you are joining us from israel and we're honored to have you here with us tonight we also have some special friends in the room with us tonight. Uh, we have a group from Germany, a.k.a. Long-Term Friends. Let's welcome these guys. It's great to have you here with us. Holger Liebenzell and uh, some of the pastors and leaders. Holger, I haven't gotten to meet you yet, so at some point I would love to meet you. Maybe after the service tonight, shake hands and connect a name with a face. We uh, also have with us in the community tonight a group from uh, the UK and Scotland, I think this is you guys right here. Welcome. And uh, Reverend Donald Martin, welcome. Great to have you guys. I hope it's not too loud for you. We were really loud down here in the front tonight. Wasn't that great worship, though? Thank you, Pastor Ray and uh, team. Wonderful job. We also have a, student, a team of students from Southeastern University. Are you guys here tonight? We thought you might join us and uh, they're not here. But we do have in the house some Brazilians. It's <laughs> <laughs> nothing quite like having the Brazilians with us. But we want to welcome Pastor Antonio from Boa Vista, Brazil. And we also want to welcome Pastor Marcelo from Projecta Vita Church. Gentlemen, it's a wonder to have you with us. We are honored to be able to serve together with you, to worship together with you. And so let's just worship the Lord together as a community far and near. Uh, We have a community event that's coming up. We want you to put it on your calendar. So grab out your devices Friday, June 10th. If you were with us at the last community event, we did a picnic for Independence Day uh, in the park here at Independence Park. We had such a great day. And, And what made it great? It was just being with people, and we had great food, of course, some Brazilian barbecue, which made it really, really nice. But it was really just gathering together with people and fellowshipping. So June 10th, Friday, June 10th, we're going to have a Kabbalat Shabbat, a welcoming in Shabbat dinner together. And we will have some great food. It's a a bring and share potluck. And we'll be telling you you a little bit more later what to bring and what will make that such a nice evening. And then we're just going to enjoy the the fellowship of one another, celebrate the beginning of Shabbat together, Friday, June 10th. We'll do it right up here in the pavilion lobby. And uh, it'll be a great time. So put that on your calendar and uh, make sure that you join us for that fun community event. And we are also counting the Omer. So we are on day 29 from Pesach. So after Pesach, we are 29 days on our way to 50, which will be Shavuot. We'll celebrate Shavuot together right here. It takes place on Sunday, June 5th. We'll have a special Shavuot uh, ceremony, and uh, we'll give you a little bit more information as we get close to that. Today is day 29. I'm not going to try to do that wonderful blessing that Pastor Chad does all the time, because I know as soon as I try to do it, I'm going to trip over my words, and, and then everybody will laugh at me, and I don't want that to happen. So. <laughs> so how many of you remember, if you remember record players, anybody in this audience remember record players, LPs, 45s? You remember the little 45 records? You're going to enjoy this story if you remember those Uh, It would have been late 1960s, I think. And uh, I would have been in the fifth grade. And during that fifth grade year, we had two first-year brand-new teachers that taught our class together. And um, they did lots of kind of -of out-of-the-box fun activities that none of the other teachers would have done or pulled off. And so we have these two brand-new teachers. And one of the uh, activities that they did was they allowed us to bring our records, our LPs, our 45s, they would bring them into the school and then during lunch break or our recess, uh, we would play the records. And I don't remember if we danced or we sang to them, but it was a big deal to be able to play our music that we were bringing from home in school. So I finally worked up my courage. I brought in a, a 45 record. You remember the 45s? They had one song on one side, one song on the other side, had a big hole in the middle, brought my 45 record in and kind of with fear and trepidation, we didn't have very many records at my house, but my parents said, no, this is a good song. And uh, so I took it off to the school. And the way it worked is you'd bring in your pile of records and there was one girl that was designated to listen to all the records and kind of decide what the playlist was gonna be for the rest of the day. So I brought in my record, I handed my record to this girl, she throws it on the record player, plays it for like 15 seconds, pulls it off and says, nope, not a good song, nobody's going to like that. (laughs) So there I'm standing with my record, and I'm like, okay. And I was like, that was the end of the story. And I think what struck me at that moment was I realized I don't really like that feeling of the, uh, the, the way... Choices are made sometimes, and and like, it doesn't matter why this person's choosing, and that, cho- why didn't she choose my record? And, and so I processed it, and I didn't know whether, was that just not because I wasn't her friend, or maybe I wasn't one of the popular kids, or maybe the song didn't have the right beat, and we don't really know why she didn't choose the record, but we do know that fifth graders are not very discerning (laughs) because that little girl kept all of the rest of the students from hearing this song. (laughs) Oh, we the wacht, oh, in the wacht, oh, in the wacht, oh, in the classic, right? Nobody's going to like that song. It's not a good song. If she only knew, fifth graders really aren't very discerning. The Lion Sleeps Tonight, wow, what a song. It was released in 1961 by a group called The Tokens, and it had actually been recorded, I don't know if you know this story, but it had been recorded several times before that, but it just never kind of caught on because it's a little different, And, and yet this version of it popped to the top of the charts, and it stayed there for three solid weeks. But more than that, and I think what's most amazing is that over the years, it's been recorded over 35 different times, different artists, groups, and bands. It's been highlighted and used in no less than eight top-ranked movie blockbusters, like The Lion King and The Sandlot and The Bucket List, And listen to this, it earned over 15 million dollars just in The Lion King alone. It's not a good song. (laughs) (laughs) But what I learned from that experience is that that none of us actually enjoy that feeling of discrimination, of how choices are made, the, uh, the, the, the fact that it's not really based on, it's just based on somebody's feelings, based on somebody's likes and dislikes and, and discrimination takes place and I, I'm sure this wasn't the first time that I had uh, not been chosen, uh, but I remember this time very clearly because that song was so popular and, and I think all of us can remember many different scenarios, th- different times in our lives where we've experienced that same exact uh, thing where we weren't chosen we were passed over we weren't chosen to be on the team or in the club or in the group or on the list or in that inner circle we all know what that feeling feels like and at the same time if we stop and we're really honest we also know what it feels like to sometimes be on the inner circle to be in the group to be on the list to be in the club where we get to exclude Everybody else and they're not a part of our group, our team, our list so we both we know both uh, realities and and the truth is we kind of expect this from uh, other human beings because we, we've had it happen to us and we've done it to other people. but when it comes to God, we expect something different. we want something different. we want to know and believe that our God is impartial in his decision making that he isn't a god that makes rash capricious judgments that he's the same every single time like we were just singing tonight great is thy faithfulness we want to know are you faithful are you going to judge the same every time but we want to know does god have favorites if we scan the scriptures, the new and the old covenant texts, and we're looking for an answer, does God have favorites? We can start simply, if we just do it, a quick scan, we, we might get this impression that God does seem to choose. He does seem to have favorites and chooses some over others and doesn't choose some that it seems like maybe he should. And and maybe he does have favorites. So it starts in the Garden of Eden. Uh, we see it right there first with Cain and Abel. We read that God chose Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't choose Cain's sacrifice. Hmm, that doesn't seem like it was very fair that God would choose one and not the other. And then we read about Enoch of all the people on the earth. God chooses, it seems, Enoch, and he takes him to be with him. Of all the people, there goes Enoch, and why did God choose him? What was it about Enoch that God was interested in? Abraham, the father of our faith, was called the friend of God. I don't know how many people that actually have that title, the friend of God. God, we see, chooses Isaac over Ishmael. God chooses Jacob over Esau. Moses, the deliverer of the children of Israel out of Egypt, communed with God face to face, even though no man had ever seen God's face and lived. Miriam, the mother of Yeshua, our Savior, was said to be favored of God. God chose David to be the king over his people, Israel. Interestingly, God also chose Saul to be king over his people, Israel. He chose them both. There's some good lessons there, which we won't have time to dive into tonight about God's choices. With Yeshua, there were thousands of people that were following him. He was a rock star in his day. Thousands of people were following him, and only 70 of them got chosen to carry that message from city to city, village to village, to carry the good news and to heal the sick. Of those 70, there were 12 that had that really amazing role to be with Yeshua all the time, to be his disciples, to be learning from him on a day-to-day, night-to-night, sleep-together, eat-together basis. Of those 12, there were three on the inner, inner circle. the, The three best friends of Yeshua James and Peter and and John. For many people, believing and non-believing, it doesn't really matter. For many people, this idea all down through history that God has a chosen people, a chosen people, has been very difficult for people to deal with. They don't know what to do with it. If God, they say, has a chosen people, that must mean he has many that he hasn't chosen. If he's choosing this one, that means he hasn't chosen that one it means that he likes them more they're more valuable to him that they have a a higher uh rating in his kingdom or in his estimation but as we look at this this is only one piece of a bigger puzzle and we're missing another piece for it to fit and to make sense so we want to welcome you to our puzzle series this is our series, Puzzles. We've been going through some of those ideas and topics, things in God's Word that seem to not fit together. They contradict each other. They seem to be opposites. And We've been taking some time to place them side by side and look at them and, and ask the question, does God's Word contradict itself? So we, we've taken a deeper look and and to be honest, you have to take time to get to these answers. Just like when you're building a puzzle and you have 500 pieces, 1,000 pieces, 5,000 pieces, it doesn't matter, when you have two pieces and you're trying to figure out if they fit, you can't just do it in a second. It takes time to suss it out and to look at them and to try to fit them together. And, and this is what we've been doing over the last several weeks. And tonight we wanna to dig into this question does God have favorites? Well, on the surface, one might say God does have favorites. Some are chosen and some are not chosen. Others are preferred and favored and others are not favored or preferred. So what's this other piece? Where is the other piece that we need to find out? Is this how God works? Does he have favorites? And if he does, I want to be on that list. Peter describes to us this other piece in the book of Acts as he answers this most important question, does God have favorites? It takes place after Yeshua's death and, and Peter has been brought into a situation where he's around the Gentiles, the Gentiles who were always in Judaism seen as the outsiders, the forbidden outsiders. And Peter is now here with these forbidden outsiders, these Gentiles, and he realizes that God, his God, the God that he's been serving his whole life, is treating these Gentiles, Gentiles that are worshiping and following God, he's treating them with the same value as he treats the Jews. Hmm. And he's giving to them the same gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as he gave to the Jews and he's displaying to them the same power, the power of God as he has to the Jews. And, and as Peter is processing this, he, he makes this definitive statement and he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation that one, that person who fears him and who does what is right. And and in this one statement that Peter makes, we we not only hear how God sees each person, but we also get a glimpse of God's criteria. What is it that God is looking at? What is he looking for? And, And what is it that he seems to be looking at in our lives? Peter's statement in Acts only echoes Uh, a a description that Moses gives to the people of Israel back in the book of Deuteronomy. As as Moses is bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and he's introducing them in many ways to their God and he's describing to them who God is. He makes this statement in Deuteronomy 10, for the Lord your God is God of all gods, all little g gods, and he's Lord of all lords, all little l lords. He is the great God, mighty and awesome. And then he tucks in this last statement so that Israel Israel will understand that God is not capricious. God isn't changing his judgment based on who people are and who they aren't and if they're chosen or if they're not chosen. And, And Moses says, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. <clears throat> God doesn't show favoritism. By favoritism, this is what we mean. He's not partial. God is impartial. It's, it's a word that in English, <clears throat> many of us never have really seen. We don't know what impartiality looks like. We're used to seeing people and we're used to being ourselves partial. Choosing based on our feelings or our, our own opinions or our own values. God is impartial as he deals with people. <clears throat> He's not a respecter of persons. Each one, each person is viewed with the same standards and the same values, each and every person. Each one is judged with the same measurement, because this is what it looks like to be impartial, and God is impartial. However, and and this is the part where we often lose it and we trip up, because God's plans, God's giftings, God's callings are unique for each one. Or said a different way, God's callings are different for each and every one. And oftentimes, this uniqueness or this difference <coughs> excuse me sets them apart in a way that in our human standards, we see these differentiations and we see the differences and we, we interpret it as uh, they're better. We see the distinctive roles and we interpret it as they have more favor. As giving one person more value than another or sometimes giving them less value than someone else. We look at these differences and we see it confirming more importance or more love on someone or sometimes conferring less importance and less love on someone. And this is where we often stumble thinking that everyone should be treated exactly the same. And they're not. They all have the same value. They all have the same love from God. In his eyes, we are all seen as identical. But God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't choose based on who we are or what we have or or what we have to bring to the table, what we can do to make ourselves look better or be better because God does choose people according to his callings, his roles, his distinctive gifts, his unique callings and giftings for each and and every individual. But this never changes how he sees them. The distinctive role doesn't change how God sees them. The unique calling doesn't change how God sees them. He sees them identically with the same standards, measurements, expectations, same rules. The only thing that's different is the setting the callings, the giftings, the environments that we live out our giftings in, the different statures and positions that we all carry and titles that go along with those. There are numerous differences. So many differences that we couldn't even add them all up. And yet these differences, and this is the part that we have to hear, these differences are not value markers. The differences are not judgment makers. They're simply differences. Differences that God actually uses to accomplish his great work in us and through us. His callings in our lives, in multiple places in our lives, and all throughout the world, these differences are are things that God uses to accomplish his plans. No one no one person, no one group, no one nation holds a higher place value in God's kingdom than anybody else. No one. But Paul says it best. In Galatians, he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Messiah, Yeshua. So it leaves us with the question, so then what is it that God is looking for? What is he looking at? What is it that gives the the right for God to favor, bring favor into our lives, for God to favor us in our lives? Paul ties this all together for us in the book of Romans in chapter 2 as he begins to illustrate for us God's criteria. What is it that that makes the difference, that, that allows God's favor to rest on a person's life. In Romans two and verse seven and eight, he says, to those who by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he, God, will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and who follow after evil, there will be wrath and anger. That's the criteria. It's what that person or people are choosing to do with their lives. It's it's where they stand with God in their hearts. Paul ends his statement there with this very strong conclusion, as he says, "For God does not show favoritism. It's based on the choice of the person. What are they living for? What is their heart pointed at? That's the criteria." See, God is looking at one thing. He's looking at our hearts. It doesn't matter if we're young. He wants to know where that young heart's pointed. It doesn't matter if we're old. Where has that old heart been? It doesn't matter if we're rich and wealthy or if we're poor, if we're the CEO or the servant It doesn't matter where we've been or or what we've done. If we're highly gifted or if we're slimly talented. It doesn't even matter if we're called by God. It doesn't matter if we're gifted by God. It doesn't even matter if we're chosen by God. Those things don't matter because God is looking for one thing And it looks like our choices make that determination of how God sees us and how he responds to us. God makes this statement in Isaiah chapter 66 that clarifies without any doubt what it is that he's looking for. In Isaiah 66, he says, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in heart and who tremble before my word. That's a pretty simple list. That's what God looks at, that's what God favors. And he's not playing any games. He says it very clearly and very simply right there. And then we get to make the choice in how we respond to God, how we respond to his word, And then what happens in our hearts? Does God have favorites? Yes. I like to say every single person who was ever created, that's his favorite. Who does God favor? Which is a different question. He favors all those who humble their hearts, who are contrite in their spirit, who tremble at his words. It seems like such a simple list, and yet it's a strong and powerful list. I asked myself, when was the last time I trembled at God's word? I I read his word almost every day. Well, when was the last time I trembled at it? I think in January of this year. This helps us put that puzzle piece into place. It allows us to see it a little bit better. Does God have favorites? No. Does God show favor? Yes. And there's a criteria that matches so that we understand, ah, all of the people that we just got through reading and that whole list starting with Cain and Abel and and David and Saul, God was using the same criteria. He didn't just pop out a new criteria, it's the same God, great is thy faithfulness. He's the same God, same criteria. So we can see those two puzzle pieces fitting nicely together. But there are two remaining thoughts that I feel need to be expounded on for just a second as we come to the end of this service, as we come to the end of our message. This is important for us to to grab a hold of. Two of these thoughts that are are like different perspectives on the same puzzle pieces. The first thought is this. God's chosen people, Israel, and I'm gonna put it in quotes, God's chosen people, Israel, did what a lot of us do, did what a lot of people do. When we equate our chosenness our giftedness, our calling, our position, our title, our uniqueness as a a way that we don't need to have personal responsibility. Because I'm gifted, because I'm uh, called, because I'm uh, in this position and I have this title. It gives us uh, an air uh, of superiority or exclusivity and pride sets in our hearts israel developed what i often call the teacher's pet syndrome where they had this mentality we're god's chosen people i'm god's chosen person i'm a part of god's chosen ministry i'm a part of this chosen congregation this gifted congregation i'm a part of this denomination that sets me apart from the rest. I'm a, uh, I am belong to a marriage that is called by God to do certain things, so I'm different. I sit outside of, I have the teacher's pet mentality. I belong to a group that is gifted by God or has a special calling. And because I'm chosen, God sees me differently than other groups, the other families, the other ministries, the other nations, the other congregations because I'm worshiping him differently, because I'm serving him differently and what I'm doing is more valuable in God's kingdom and because of that, I get special privileges and I don't have the same consequences. I don't have to follow those rules. And Israel fell trapped to this. And we read several different places in Jeremiah and Isaiah where God says to them, "Uh, not really. You're not special. You're not being treated differently. You're not going to have to not follow the rules. You have to follow the same criteria as everyone else. And in pride, we lay aside God's ways and God's instructions and his directions and his way of doing life And we serve God our way when that pride sets in our hearts. And we do it on our own terms. Obviously, this is a dangerous place to be. It's pride. And as it sets into our hearts, it keeps us from keeping up our hearts, keeping up the garden of our hearts. And then we begin to rely on who we are. And we begin to rely on the role that we play or the title that we carry or or the, the position that we're standing in instead of what's going on here in my heart. See, God is looking only and always at what's in our hearts. <clears throat> the second thought is this, and it's as equally as important as that. In our pursuit of being like our Savior, Yeshua, God calls us, he calls you and me, his followers, to a standard that he sets out in his word in how we see and how we treat other people, how we judge other people. Etched in God's original instructions to Israel, God establishes a benchmark for his people, a benchmark still for us to today in how they see and how they treat other people. And it was unlike anything that had ever been etched in a culture or a nation before that time. And even up till today, it stands out as very, very distinct. Listen to Leviticus 19. Do not show favoritism to either the poor or the great. We can go wrong both ways. Show favoritism because they're poor, show favoritism because they're great or they're rich. We can go wrong both ways. And, and he ends by saying, judge on the basis of what's right. Simply make that judgment on what's right. What is God's standard here? What is right? Proverbs follows up this idea to say, to show partiality in judging, excuse me, to show partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the guilty person, you're innocent, will be cursed by the peoples and denounced by the nations. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty, and rich blessing will come on them. Again, we see the same criteria. Timothy, uh, Paul, speaking to Timothy as Timothy's uh, planting his church Paul says to him, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and the Messiah, Yeshua, and in his chosen angels, to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. That's a strong call, to establish a church without bias. How many churches are torn apart every year because of bias? Because the person that has influence or money or some reason makes a decision and then the pastor's afraid to go against that person. It happens all the time. But the book of James gives us, James actually gives us the very best picture of what favoritism looks like as he actually describes it word for word for us in chapter 2. We're all familiar with it. He says in verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord, Yeshua Messiah, must not show favoritism. Then he describes this is what favoritism looks like. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothing and a poor man comes in wearing filthy clothes also and you show excuse me, if you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, hey, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. Same criteria. It's interesting, by nature, you and I, we easily and quickly categorize people and evaluate and value them as higher or lower than ourselves, higher than lower than the group that we belong to, often without even consciously thinking about it. That's our human nature. We need help. I need help. Scripture repeatedly confirms God's character, God's standard, and not only how he sees people and how he deals with people, but also how he has extended those same righteous standards to us. He's given us those same righteous standards. And those... Uh, to, to those who are willing to bow their heart before his rule and before his word are going to embrace those same standards as we deal with one another and i don 't want to say that this is easy; this is hard we We grow up in a in a a world where it is just natural to make a an evaluation on this person or that person this setting or that setting this Congregation, that congregation, we we just do it without even thinking. But God is impartial. He doesn't have favorites. Each person, each group, each nation is seen and valued equally. So what are our takeaways out of this message tonight? What is it that we're going to grab a hold of and walk out as we leave tonight? I think there's several things, but I'm just gonna grab three of the most obvious ones, three things that I think we want to take with us and begin doing that homework of evaluating where where we're at, what's in our hearts. How do we see God judging other people? How do we judge other people? Number one takeaway, God doesn't have favorites, but, He extends his favor to all of those who are humble and contrite and tremble at his word. This means, so listen carefully, this means that you and I, that we are fully accepted by God simply because of his love and his grace and because of that character. There's never going to be anything that you or I can do. There's nothing else that we can add to sweeten the deal to make God like us more, to get in a special standing with God. We can't do it because there isn't such a place. God is not a respecter of persons. We're all viewed and valued exactly the same with the same standards and measurements. Thought number two, or two, number two takeaway. Our callings, our giftings, our our roles will always be different. Some of us don't like to hear that. Paul describes the body this way, that there's many parts of the body, but there's just one body made up of many, many parts. No one part is more valuable in God's economy than any other part. It never will be. There's no such thing as the exclusive teacher's pet with God. I'm thankful for that. We each have a distinctive role to play in God's kingdom. I love that. We each have a distinctive role to play in God's kingdom. What's your role? It's not going to look like mine. It's not going to look like the person sitting next to you. What's your role? It's distinctive to you to each and every person that should give you some excitement and some hope we each have a distinctive role to play but these roles that we play don't elevate or depreciate any of us it doesn't make us any better or any worse and the fact is we actually need one another to accomplish the calling and the goals that we each have i need you to accomplish my callings and god's goals in my life you need me you need the person sitting next to you we need one another that's why gathering together as a body is so important you need to come out to the kabbalat shabbat in a couple of weeks you need each other and the third takeaway is this one and i think it's probably the most important because it's the hardest for us to do, how we interact with and judge and treat each other as we're following and serving our Messiah is of the highest, highest importance. We often put it at lowest importance. We often look at it like it doesn't really matter as long as God and I got a thing going, it doesn't matter how. I'm treating my my brother or my sister or my wife, my husband, my son, my daughter, my boss, my co-worker. It doesn't really matter. God's not really looking at that. He is looking at that. He's given us his standards. And they're awesome. They're not easy. But that's why we need the Lord to give us the ability to do it. God has given us his divine benchmark to be impartial in all of our estimations and judgments of other people. It's a high benchmark. To show no favoritism. To not call righteous what God has determined as wicked behavior. To see and devalue each person of the highest importance and value. Whether they're a believer or not a believer, it doesn't matter. Whether they're from this nation or from that nation, it doesn't matter. Because God doesn't value them as more important or more valuable than any other. So there we have it. Those pieces of the puzzle being brought together. Does God have favorites? He doesn't. Does he favor? Yes, he does. And we know what the criteria is. And we know what it looks like. That person that receives the favor. And now we have this puzzle piece in place. We get to go out and live it. And this is the last thought, you know, and we said this a few weeks ago, God created us as human beings to do his work in us and through us to other human beings. God does his best work through you and through me. It's not in a corner by ourselves somewhere away with God. He does it through you and me because he wants to be, uh, we, he wants us to be His hands extended to other human beings. Believing and non-believing, it doesn't matter. We often say this when we're doing our premarital counseling with couples. Husband, God wants you to be His hands, His, his extension of His love to your wife. In a very physical way, to be that physical loving gift to your wife. He wants to love her through you, wife. God wants you to be the hands extended. His physical love of your husband, of his of your husband, through you. I'm saying to us tonight, God wants us, whether we're married or single, or rich or poor, or from this nation or that nation. It doesn't matter. He wants to go through you be your his hands he wants you to be his hands extended to the family around you to your community around you to the world around you to love on people through you but we got to get this part right this part of the puzzle right where we cut out all of our own estimations and values and and make an indiscriminatory uh, judgment on people would you stand with me let's just pray as we end the worship team's going to come lead us in some worship amen and God we thank you that we are called into your family we are called we're chosen it feels so good God to be a part of your family We don't take it for granted in any ways, and because you're inclusive, we know that you want many others to be in your family. And because you're inclusive, we know that all of the people in your family you want us to love and to embrace and to uh, be in good fellowship and relationship with. And and I'm just confessing tonight, God, we need your help. Thank you for the benchmark that gives us the, the picture of what that looks like and and we're asking God for the power of your spirit in our lives to be able to live this out, to be able to live the life of love, and giving, embracing, uh, of not showing partiality as we walk through our world. God, I pray that you would do that in each one of our lives as we walk from this place tonight. And We pray it in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord.